Well, what Paul has been doing in the first three chapters up to verse 20 of chapter 3 is he has been demonstrating two things. That no matter who you are, whether you're a rebel, a moralist, or a religious person, number one, you're under the wrath of God. You're under God's wrath. And number two, the only thing that can be done for you is to have a Savior. Everyone needs a Savior. We don't, we don't start telling people, you need a Savior. We've got to show them why they need a Savior. We've got to show them that, that they're under God's wrath regardless whether they, whether they don't have a Bible or whether they do have a Bible. So that's what Paul has been doing. Then in chapter 3, verse 21, in a beautiful passage of Scripture, maybe the greatest passage of Scripture, because it explains how to be righteous. And we said last week that, that righteousness is not behavior. Righteousness is an identity. And, and that you can only get that identity, which, by the way, was the identity you were supposed to have. You can only get that righteousness, that idea, by believing God. By believing God. Do you know, do you know all sin has come from one thing? We don't believe God. The original sin was that Eve and then Adam decided that God could not be trusted. He could not believe. He could not be trusted with, with us and what he said. And so, so because they didn't believe, the whole race was cast into sin. And, and the only way back is to believe. And God has made that way back. And, and he, has, he has made it possible for us to have righteousness. But the key is for us to believe. And, and that's called faith. That's called faith. But as the religious person, you know, of, of the three, rebels, moralists, and religious people, of the three, the people that have the hardest time with faith are religious people because they have a background of works. They have a background of trying to get approval from God. So when you end at chapter 3, verse 31, the religious person, and, and this, is, this is someone Paul has had a discussion with in his travels, the religious person asks a question. This morning, I want to go through quickly all of chapter 4, starting with chapter 3, verse 31. I want to go through chapter 4 because it is such a clear explanation of this whole thing that we call faith based on the promises of God. 
So look at verse 31. Go ahead and throw that up there. This, this is the question that ends chapter 3. After the explanation by Paul, here's what the religious person asks. He says, Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? So the, the religious person, this is the person with the Bible, this is the person with the Old Testament, this is that Jewish person that that grew up understanding the ways of God, and especially his law. And his law was, this is the way you were supposed to be. This is how you're supposed to treat me. This is how you're supposed to act towards me. This is the way you're supposed to act towards each other. And so the religious person naturally asks the question, do we overthrow, do we make void the law of God by this faith. Are you telling me that the law is of no use? What was that all about? And then Paul answers the question. He says, by no means. Now listen to this. On the contrary, this message of faith, this righteousness that God is offering to you, actually establishes or upholds the law. How is that? How does faith establish the law? How does it uphold the law? Well, here's why. Because faith was the purpose of the law. See, we have the mistaken notion that God gave us the law so that we could do our best, and if we tried really hard, we could actually keep the law. That was not the purpose of the law. That wasn't the purpose of the law. Remember I told you last week, if, if I said, I want anybody here to stand in the middle of the floor and jump up and touch the ceiling, you were supposed to be able to jump up and touch the ceiling. You could try all day. Nobody here could do that. And when you tried, here's what would happen. You would say, no way. <laughs> There's no way. So God gave us this law, and as we look at this law, we conclude, I can't do it. I can't do it. There's an old joke that goes like this. This guy showed up at the gates of heaven, and Peter said to him, he said, okay, um, you want to get in? What's, what's the secret word? The guy goes, secret word? I never heard about this. He says, uh, God is good. Peter says, no. Jesus is Lord. No. Um, God is great. God is holy. No, no. And finally the guy said, I give up. Peter said, welcome home. See, the law is designed for us to see that we can't keep the law. One of the first passages of Scripture I memorized was Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Now listen to this. For his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on that law he meditates day and night. 
Why does he meditate? Why does he delight in the law? You know why? Because the law is that mirror that the righteous man knows. It's a constant reminder. So he meditates on it. Because you know what happens to religious people? They start to believe that their goodness is going to gain them approval for God, from God. So as you meditate on the law, every time you read the law, you say to yourself, I got nothing. I can't do that. So what Paul is arguing here is, no, this righteousness I'm talking about that comes from a promise through faith, that was the purpose of the law. And, and when you study the law, one of the things that you'll say is, Lord, I need your help. I need a Savior. Because I can't do this in my own strength. There's some other questions that I want to answer as we go through this chapter. Number two, Paul describes a specific episode in the life of Abraham. And I want you, as we go through that episode, I want you to answer this question, or at least ask this question. Why is this episode used to demonstrate faith? Why this one? Why is it Genesis 15, 6? Why does he choose that one? And here's the amazing thing. Abraham, Abram at that point, Abram was already a believer. He was already a believer. God had revealed himself to Abram years before. Years before. He said to him at 75 years of age, he said, he said I am going to bless the world. Your seed is going to be what I use to bless the world. And that word seed is very important. You need to follow that word all the way through Scripture because all the promises of God are based on that word, seed, the seed. Early on, 24 hours after Adam and Eve sinned, God showed up and he talks to Adam, he talks to Eve, and he talks to Satan. And, and here's what he says to Satan in Genesis 3.15. It's the first announcement of a savior here's what he says i will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed her seed will crush your head and your seed will bruise him on the heel that was, that was 24 hours after the fall, and it was a look a long way into the future of what was going to happen on a cross outside of Jerusalem at Calvary. But that word seed shows up with Abram, because with Abram, God is going to use his family and eventually the nation that is formed from his seed so that the seed of the woman, the Messiah, comes forth from him. And especially, we'll, we'll look at Genesis 15, 6. Number three, third question. How are all of the children of Abraham connected? Right now, 
There are two kinds of children of Abraham. There's a natural child, and there's a spiritual child. The Jewish nation, that's the natural. Those of us who are Gentiles, who have come to faith and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are the spiritual children of Abraham. And then last, this, one, of the, one of the things that's always kind of, I've never been able to answer So God gives this promise that Abram would have a son when he's 75 years old. You know how long it takes for God to bring that child forth from the seed of Abram? You know how long it takes? 25 years. So he promised him at 75 years of age, And he doesn't realize it until he's 99, nearly 100. So the question is, why did God make Abraham wait? Why did he make him wait? All right, let's tackle. Chapter 4, verse 1. I'm going to go through it. It's going to be more of a Bible study this morning, but I think it'll be a blessing to you. Okay, let's, let's start. So the question is, This is what he's tackling in these first three verses. If faith is so important, does that that make the law null and void? Let me read 31 again. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? In other words, we descended from Abraham. What was gained by Abraham, and how was it gained? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. See, the natural tendency of the flesh in our human state is to want to get approval by our performance. And here's what, here's what Paul is saying. If Abraham was actually justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. He could only boast before other people. He could only say to other people, I'm better than you. But he's never going to gain approval before God. And then here's that verse, verse 3. For what does the Scripture say Abram believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's it. No works involved. He has nothing to boast about. All all he can say is, God made a promise to me. I heard it. I acted in faith, and I believed it. By the way, this, this occurs when he's about 85. So 10 years have passed since the original promise. Let me just read this passage. It comes from Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. Let me just read through it. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Now listen to Abram. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. It's been 10 years since you told me I was going to have a son. I was going to, that my seed was going to bless the whole world. It's been 10 years. 
And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. In other words, he has a servant living in the house by the name of Eliezer. And so, you know, he's trying to figure this out. Isn't that what we try to do? We try to... God... God gives us his promise, and then he makes us wait. <laughs> and, and we want it to happen now, don't we? I mean, that's it. Oh, you said it? Come on, let, let's do this. Let's get this over with. And, and so he looks around, and he goes, you said it would be someone from my house. Maybe, maybe it's this Eliezer. Maybe it's this servant I have. Verse 3. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside, and he said, Look toward heaven, and number the stars If you are able to number them, then he said, so shall your offspring be. So, you know, he's waffling. He doesn't understand. He doesn't see how God's going to pull this off. That ever happened to you? Happened to me. (laughs) I'm trusting God. I'm believing God. And I just don't see how it's going to happen. Listen to what... When he heard this from the Lord, verse 6, and he believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. That's why this episode is chosen. Because he's well into his walk of faith now. It's 10 years, and, and he still hasn't realized the promise of God. But he's going to have to continue to trust God. And that's what the walk of faith is all about. And then verse 4 of chapter 4. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. When you get your paycheck, you don't go up to your boss and say, thank you so much, thank you for this paycheck. You don't do that. Why? Because you work for it. It was your wages. That's your due. Now here's what the Scripture says. If you try to do that with God, here's the wages that you earn. The wages that you earn are death. And here's here's what Scripture says. What God owes you if you are performing, if you're you're working in your own strength, the wages that you're going to get from God is death. That's the wages that you deserve. This is, the most, this is the most amazing verse in this whole chapter, I think, besides verse 21. Listen to this, verse 5. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. Why do you meditate on Scripture? Why do you want to understand the law? Because the law will reveal to you just how ungodly you are and how much you need this gift. How much you need to trust God. So so the one who does not work to the one whom God counts as righteous, God justifies. Listen, God justifies the ungodly 
That's the only people he justifies. That's why Paul has spent so much time trying to demonstrate to every class of people, you're all ungodly. So that, so that in the end they'll say, there is none righteous, no, not one. And if there's none righteous, no, not one, I'm not righteous. And then, and then you know, what he does here is he inserts one of the greatest sinners of the Old Testament. King David was a wonderful saint. And he was also a terrible sinner. He committed adultery. He took another man's wife. And then he had that man killed. First David writes Psalm 51. And then he follows that up with Psalm 32. And basically what David is doing is he's instructing people on on what sin does to you and and the only remedy for it. So verse 7, this is David, who, who the text says speaks of righteousness apart from works because David knew he couldn't correct his behavior. Verse 7, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Do you know, we talked about this last week at the end of the message. People were saved in the Old Testament before the cross the same way they're saved after the cross. We look back on the cross and we say, we say that's where my sins were paid for. So the question comes up, how could God justify people in the Old Testament since the cross had not yet happened? Do you know how God justified them? Because those people looked forward to that seed, to that Redeemer, to that Savior. There's an amazing text in John chapter 8. Jesus is talking with Jewish leaders And here's what he says. Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. How much did David know? How much did Abraham know? We don't know. I think Abraham probably had a pretty good idea. There's historical records even that that for 30, up to 30 years, Abram lived with Noah and with Shem. He was a descendant of Shem. And that people lived for hundreds of years in those days and that their life actually overlapped. So they understood. They understood that they couldn't keep the law. That's what David understood. That's what Abram understood. I can't pull this off. And then he goes on, he explains, because he's saying now, he's saying all people are in the same situation. Verse 9, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. 
The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that the righteousness would not be counted to them, so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well. Abram was given the promise at 75. He tried to take matters into his own hands around 85. And that's when Ishmael was born. At 99, God gave him the right of circumcision, and he wasn't circumcised until he was 99, which was 13 to 14 years after he had believed God and God had attributed or credited to him as righteousness. So here's what he's saying. Those of you who are circumcised, you, you must live by faith. But this is available as well to those who are uncircumcised. Why? Because Abram, Abraham, later on, exalted father to the father of many nations, Abraham actually was given the gift of righteousness 13 years before he was circumcised. And, and the purpose of that was so that Abraham would not only be the father of the Jewish nation, but the father of us as well. And, and that circumcision, Paul says, is just a sign of the belief. Just the same way as baptism. What is baptism? Baptism doesn't save us. What does it do? It simply is an outward demonstration of something that's already taken place in our hearts. Verse 12, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So, this faith is for the circumcised, the religious, the Jewish, and it's also for all the Gentiles, all the nations. That was God's plan. Verse 13, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world. Did you catch that? You know what your destiny is? You're going to rule the world. Part of the promise is that, is that you have been made an heir to someday rule the world. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir to the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is... If it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. In other words, if it only is for the Jews, the people who have the Bible, the people who are circumcised, then faith is null and void because they're only getting it because they have the Bible. They have the Word. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. Verse 16, that is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace, listen to this, and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. How are the, how are the natural seed of Abraham connected with the spiritual seed? Through faith. Through faith. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence 
of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he... Very important. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. So I asked you the question. This is my last question. Why did God wait? Why did he give him the promise at 75 and not fulfill the promise till he was 100? You want to know why? Because Abraham and Sarah both had to die. And when I say die, I don't mean physical death. I mean their ability to reproduce children had to be impossible. Their their reproductive organs had to be dead. At 75, even though that seems pretty old today, they could have had children. By the time Abram was 85, He could still have children, but Sarah was barren. By the time he's 99 and she's 89, her womb is dead and his seed is dead. Now, why why does God do that? Here's why. Because God, as the text says, is the God who brings life out of death. And and we are in that same condition today from the standpoint of God. Not only are we under the wrath of God, we are spiritually dead. And so God makes Abram wait so that, so that he finally gets to the place where he and Sarah are not involved in bringing forth this miracle child. It is God performing His supernatural work to bring forth this son at, at, to a man who's a hundred and a woman who is ninety. That's why. That's what God is doing. Now look at verse 21. Here's, in all the Bible, this is the best definition of faith you're going to find. And I talked about it with the kids this morning. Here it is. Abraham was fully convinced. He was strong in his faith. And he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That's what faith is. Faith is not some general or vague understanding. Faith is very specific. 
Here's, here's what God said to Abram, Abraham. I'm going to give you a child, a son, and through that son, the whole world is going to be blessed. And here's what verse 21 says. Abram was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That's the secret to faith. That's the secret to faith. You and I live by faith every day. We meditate on the Word to show us that we can't do it by ourselves. We recognize that before we came to Christ, we were dead in our trespasses and our sins. And God demonstrated to Abraham and to Sarah that He can bring life from the dead. And that's that's what the resurrection is all about. It, it is God who is God and God alone who can bring life from the dead. Verse 22, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. That's why that episode is there. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up from our trespasses and raised for our justification. So now he puts it all together. Do you understand? He puts it all together. You can't be saved by the law. The law can only reveal to you that you need outside help. You need someone who can pay the debt that you have. And when that happens... You rediscover righteousness. You rediscover your true identity. And and the first thing you need to understand is that it is impossible for you to do that, to even be involved in it. If you try to be involved in it like Abraham did in producing Ishmael, you will only make things worse. So you have to completely trust God. You have to completely trust depend on Him. And you need to constantly remind yourself, Lord, I'm counting on You and Your promises. And I believe Your promises. And if you ever get to the place where you can go through a day without living on the promises of God, then you've lived in your own strength that day. And and you'll find yourself at some point getting overwhelmed and getting discouraged And you'll start resorting to your own works and your own ideas and your own strength. And life will become nothing but drudgery for you. You won't won't have anything to look forward to. It'll feel like you're on a spiritual treadmill all the time. This chapter is so important because so many of God's people are still trying to live their life on their own apart from the power of God. And there's no joy, there's no hope, and there's no faith. Listen, faith is a starting point, and it, and it is something that has to endure all through the journey. And God, God will continually demonstrate to you that you have to trust Him. And you have to trust Him when you can't see your way, when you can't figure it out. So, you know, look, I'm, I'm going to talk to you very personally about this church. Right now, you're, 
you're in a place at this church where you're saying, what are we going to do? <laughs> what are we going to do? How are we going to go forward? You know how you're going to go forward? By faith. God had a plan when he raised this church up in this community. But when you start depending on what Christ Community Church can do, you're lost. But if you say in the midst of not knowing how to proceed, how to go forward, what to do, you say, Lord, you raised up this church we believe it, and we're going to trust you. We're going to trust you. We're going to depend on you. We're going to put our full weight on you and you alone. That is the only way to live. God makes promises. He asks us to believe. And because we, we believe, we, into our account goes the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your strength. Thank you, Lord, for this marvelous chapter that answers so many questions. That in simple faith, Abraham believed. He trusted you. He believed that you would do what you said you were going to do. Lord, help us to be that clear in our thinking about trusting you as well. In Jesus' name, amen.